Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books Network. I'm your host today, Laura Goldberg, on the Food Channel. Very excited to welcome Ben Nadler, who has just come out with a new book, The Jewish Deli, an illustrated guide to the chosen food. And um, it's really a graphic novel about the history of Jewish food and uh, the variety and the people behind it and uh, the full-on flavor of Judaism. So, uh, hi, Ben. Really great to have you here. Hi. Thank you. Great intro. Oh, well, a great book. And I I am curious, what inspired you? Because, I mean, I I guess I don't walk into a deli and I immediately think, gosh, this is the stuff of graphic novels. I mean, I've yet to see a deli superhero but but i'm sure you have so um by all means please yeah I, I know. that's funny i i do walk into a deli and think this is the stuff of graphic novels because i well I, my background is as an illustrator and comics artist so i just have the proclivity but also i go into like an appetizing store or a deli and i'm first so struck by like the general aesthetics of a place like that like the jars and the rows of canned food. And I, I, I just, lo- I love all the labels. I love when, I love when products are stacked up and it's like, you know, wall to wall products and portraits and fish and meats and dried apricots. I feel like the it's so visually striking. Uh, so I, was, I just feel like it's like so ripe for an illustrator to pick it apart a little bit. You know what? I I I I I'm picking up what you're putting down because I agree yeah. with you. I mean, I love pattern, and there is totally. some, there's an embracing of pattern when you walk into one of these stores. You know, pattern it, and color, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But I I'm just going to say something though. It's Please. not dissimilar when you walk into an Italian delicatessen. Or yeah. even, you know, uh, we both, before we start recording, we're talking about how we both live in Brooklyn and I live in an area of Brooklyn um, called Brooklyn Heights. And there's a strip on Atlantic Avenue of Middle Eastern delicatessens. And it's yeah. not that dissimilar either. So is this just a deli phenomenon or and and or, or is Judaism play a role? I mean, I think it's both. I certainly have so much respect for any, like the Italian delis, um, you know, with the sandwich boards and everything. There's something so striking about it. I'm I'm from Wisconsin where these places don't really exist. And if they do, they're like, you know, few and far between. So coming to New York, it's so dazzling for me to see how many of these places there are and how much history there is inside all of them. And then in, there's just something, you know, there's not an element of being Jewish and feeling like even though I didn't grow up around places like these Jewish delis that you see in Manhattan, um, it's so comforting to be surrounded by that history when you're looking at all the portraits of, you know, the founders or you can see people like pushing their herring carts um, in black and white photos that are on the walls. Um, And it's so, it's a 
it's at the same time a foreign concept to me and so um familiar just as someone who came up in a Jewish family. Yeah, no, I mean my last name's Goldberg, so I get it. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you from New York? I, I am. I'm from Long Island okay. originally. So there definitely okay. were delis out there and and you know, I definitely yeah. partook in in deli culture from an early age. Um, and I remember my dad going out every Sunday to pick up the bagels, you know. Uh, that yeah, was we would fly to New York like once a year. So it was such a special occasion to be able to visit places like this. Yeah. I mean, do you have a place in particular, a particular deli or, you know, memory that, that stands out from one of those trips when you were a young man? I remember... I remember going to Barney Greengrass with my grandpa and it's like so teal in there. There's no place that looks like that uh, anywhere. And it's just so like appealing. And, um, you know, my grandpa likes to eat. So we're, I just remember like loading <laughs> up on, on herring and, and every and everything and kind of being in awe Um that's like an early memory for me. And then, you know, like we, my, my family insisted, we would visit Katz's every time and, and rest and daughters. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like walking to Barney Green rest for the first time, I think is, is a good memory for me. Yeah. I mean, and I still I, love going there. I, I, I haven't been there in ages, but I, every time I have been, and it's on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, mm -hmm. for those who don't know, um, there's always, uh, I'm going to break it a little Yiddish now, an Oldekaker or two there who clearly, <laughs> you know, has been there since the dawn of time, you know, and is complaining know. because, you know, why isn't there more chopped liver on the plate? You know, you, you're yeah, making yeah. the portion so small now. Um, no, it's <laughs> Phil Rosenthal told a story that he was working in a deli and the old Jewish people would come and go, is this what you have? And I thought that was so funny. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? They want the special <laughs> foods in the back. Yeah, come on. I want, I want the really lean. <laughs> Do you have the really <laughs> yeah. lean brisket? Hyper-specific. Yeah, yeah exactly. no, I got it. I totally get it. I'm <laughs> feeling you. But back to the book. <laughs> okay, right. Um, sorry, we're supposed to talk about the book. Um, we have to talk what about actually book. inspired this project? And, and you know, how did you, I mean, did a publisher come to you or or did you actually package this sucker, go to a publisher along with, a, you know, a big, um, you know, corned beef on rye and be like, you want this book? <laughs> uh, yeah, the latter. I was living in Chicago and I visited a friend in New York and you know, I made him come to a deli with me and I was just looking around. I think I just finished my last book and um, I was like, man, what a, there's no like all encompassing guide to Jewish deli food that I know of, but that's at least illustrated. So I did like, I drew four sample pages. I just was drawing fish and bagels and I actually printed it out and sent a physical envelope to a few publishers um, and chronicled. Uh, picked it up I mean, this was before I had an agent so I was just mailing I was like cold mailing publishers I was just looking at the addresses and sending mail and it worked out that's that's fantastic and honestly it it, it speaks volumes about how sometimes doing something the old-fashioned way um actually can get some attention because people are so yeah. used to emails that they kind of tune things out but you gave them it's something true. physical um, yeah, I think that helped. I I would go to talks by 
older comics artists that I love and, you know, be like, how'd you get started? And uh, there's a lot of stories like I just walked into the New Yorker office in like 1990 and like had my physical portfolio. And I was thinking, man, you just don't, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, no, but, I mean, yeah. Especially since nobody's it, in the office. Still, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it just doesn't, it, that world doesn't exist, but you can still, I do think it, there's something about like getting an envelope in the mail um, and opening up and seeing physical artwork that stands out. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I mean, your, your artwork is, is absolutely delightful. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, did you take any inspiration from any sources um, in terms of the way that you were illustrating this particular book? Yeah, I'm, I'm inspired by a lot of comics and graphic novels. Um, I love Maurice Sendak is a big inspiration for me, although that might not come across so much in the illustration, but I'm looking at like, I'm always looking at something like Maurice Sendak. He does these like big round shapes. And um, I've always been drawn to like the bright, bold colors of newspaper comics. Those were my early comics influences, you know, the the Garfields and the Calvin and Hobbes. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm surrounded by New York illustrators all the time. So I draw a lot of inspiration from my, my peers and my friends. Yeah, no, I mean, I, there is something though absolutely delightful in seeing some of these foods that at least for me, I know well, sort of yeah. reinterpreted uh, through your eyes and your vision. And um, yeah, no, I can see Maurice Sendak, you know, definitely enjoying this and, and feeling quite proud that in some ways, uh, you know, he inspired a bit of your style, but I think you do have yeah. a style all your own. And I'm always, I've always loved those, like, when you watch, like, a Miyazaki movie and they do the food scenes and you watch them feast and, like, the close-up shots of them, like, breaking open an egg yolk in, in oh, animation. Yeah. I was like, uh, like, I'm very inspired by things like that. Well, you know, it, it, it's also just plain old mouth-watering. Um, That's what it is. Which is not a bad thing. I mean, yeah. it, the other part of the book, though, that I, I also found really compelling is the history, the actual yeah. history of this food. I mean, um, there was a lot of academic and, and you know, mm -hmm. religious academic information in it. And I'm just curious, you know, you said, you know, in your opening that, you know, you're just a lover of, of Delhi. Um, you're, you're not a rabbi or, or, you know, an expert. But so did you have any correct sort of Jewish culinary consigliere, as it were? Like, where did you, I mean, I know you interviewed a lot of, of uh, you know, deli owners, and we'll talk about that later, but where did you get all of this insight and information? I got a lot of information. I read uh, Pastrami on Rye, which is a book by Ted Merwin, which is a very, uh, um, an informative book. And also David Sachs wrote a, a book called Save the Deli. Yes. Um, so I was doing a bunch of research, you know, I was just like looking up like who's already covered this. And I was also reading a lot of delis have books about the history of that deli. You know, there's the Russ and Daughters book, there's a Second Avenue deli book and there's recipes, but there's a lot of like, it's always like history about that deli owner's family and what generation they are. Yeah. Um, so books like that as well. And I watched a, a documentary called The Deli Man about um, this guy, Ziggy, who owns um, a, a, a deli in Houston, Texas, who's just like, um, I got to talk to, and he's just, he's basically a walking encyclopedia. Fantastic. So we need to get him to write a book so I can interview him too. 
Yeah, he's the best. <laughs> the Jewish food encyclopedia. You can do the illustrations. But uh, in many I'll, ways, in many ways, this book is that. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was struck when I was looking at it, how much Jewish food is really the story of Jewish immigration to the U.S. And and I don't know if you've ever been to the Tenement Museum in downtown yeah. Manhattan. And, uh, you know, and and it, it made me think of that. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I love and- the Tenement Museum. When I was pitching this book, I was full, I was picturing myself going to the Tenement Museum and taking lots of reference photos. But it was like I did the bulk of the illustrations during the pandemic, so I couldn't do it. Um, so I had to do lots of Googling. But yeah, I mean, it's it's Jewish deli food inherently is, you know, refugee food. It exists because Jewish immigrants were kind of chased out of their homes and forced to make a new life in a New York that was an early melting pot. So it, it, it's food that you can't, you know, post-World War II, it's not like you can go back to Eastern Europe and like watch how your great-great-grandma made this food because um, it, it exists because of a new life that was started here uh, at the beginning of the century. Um, and that's why you see like influences from Irish cuisine and um, Italian cuisine. Um, and when you go to like Orchard Street, you're surrounded by all that immigrant culture still. So it's it's not just Jews from Eastern Europe, it's the Jews from Eastern Europe that landed in New York and were influenced by everybody around them. And I just thought that was, I don't know, I just think that makes the food more so much more interesting to me. Oh, fascinating. And um, could you just give an example of where there was influence from either the Irish or the German that led to a particular kind of food? Just so- Yeah, so I mean, could, there's so know. many. Um, certainly like when you go to Delhi and you get corned beef, like that exists because um, Jews were learning from Irish immigrants how to prepare, you know, how they prepared uh, the brisket cut, which was boiled and that's, you know, that turned out to be like the main difference between corned beef and pastrami. Um, you know, it, it's basically the German immigrants that handed the delis to the Jewish immigrants who were, you know, like very poor. So they were selling carts on the street. Um, and they inherited these brick and mortar stores before, you know, like the German immigrants more moved uh, up north uh, in Manhattan. The Yorkville, um, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I think, I think corn beef, cause you know, when you think corn beef, there's two ways you can, you can have your corn beef on, on rye with mustard, but also when people think corn beef, they're also thinking about like cabbage and St. Patrick's day. True. No, no, mind you, I, I like my corn beef on a club roll with a little bit of Russian and coleslaw, just so you know, I, Ben. Hey, um, no, nothing wrong with that. Okay. <laughs> Was worried. <laughs> now, one of the other things you get into, which is fascinating is about being kosher and what kosher means the laws that apply and i mean yeah levels of kosher designation you know you got the glot kosher and what that means kosher for passover and then um if you could explain that a little bit and then i want to talk to you about kosher style yeah kosher is so confusing and i only became more confused as i was researching it and trying to distill it into a way that like could be explained easily because the wording is very strange because a kosher style deli is really the least kosher deli you can go to 
Yeah, they um, can sell shrimp. Like, they could sell shrimp salad, uh, uh, you know, right. kosher style. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is so crazy because it's like kosher is the first word. Um, so, but uh, really the main difference is, is the intensity of inspection. Like you go to a, a, a kosher deli, they have somebody coming in regularly to make sure everything's up to par, you know, following the rules of kosherot. You have the glat kosher, which just means... Mostly that they have somebody on hand all the time to even more closely inspect everything and make sure everything is more strictly followed. Um, and then the ones that are featuring or you know, catering to the non-Jews uh, of New York and the general population, that's kosher style. And that's really just like delis that have adapted to sell more types of foods to a wider range of people that aren't keeping kosher. So that's right. why, like, that's where you find, like, a Reuben, which is not a kosher sandwich, but it's very much heavily uh, a part of the cultural Jewish food. Yeah, no, definitely. But, I mean, to explain what kosher food is, uh, I mean, it's complicated. I mean, I think, it is com- a, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people know that you can't mix milk and meat and you can't eat pork and you can't eat, you know, seafood. But yeah. it's even more complicated than that. And, and I was struck and had no idea you talk uh you, you have this wonderful thing in the book about jacob and an angel and how that yeah. impacted you know beef kosher beef could you could you please explain that because i yeah <laughs> i was struck by i had no idea i mean you know i'm i'm, I'm a hebrew school dropout but even so <laughs> i was surprised yeah i mean it. i didn't know either that's uh and so in the book of genesis jacob is fighting with um an angel that's actually the angel of his brother Esau. And um, the angel realizes he can't defeat Jacob. So he touches his hip socket and then Jacob has a limp um, because of this. And it's so Jewish to then uh, remember that by not eating what I can only describe as hip, <laughs> hip related foods, meaning like the sciatic nerve that, you know, runs like down a cow's spine uh, into the pelvis. Like if, if, if the meat is touching that, it's no good because we remember Jacob's struggle and limp by eating only the front parts of the cow. Um, so that's why we eat brisket because that's the cheapest cut that comes from the front of the cow. Um, and, I mean, does this apply to other animals as well? Uh, it does. Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so if we're it, eating it lamb, it's to... always going to be the front of the lamb. That's why we we never eat. We can eat the front leg. We can't eat the back leg. That's correct. And now, okay. and when we start talking about other animals, now I'm I've gone from like ninety five percent certainty to like eighty percent. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, the truth of the matter is, I, I I think you've got so much more on most of us. But you know, <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to be following any kosher rules today. So I, I think we're okay. We're safe. But I I just find the history of it and the genesis yeah. of it um interesting. And, it's just uh, such a hodgepodge because there's 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 very literal kosher rules about you know blood and meat and milk and then there's yeah the way more general biblical kosher rules that are are like are the logic is harder to follow. So uh, can you just explain a little bit to listeners about the blood? Yeah, um, I, 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 as best as I can put it is that just blood is not kosher. So when you eat um kosher meat it's from an animal that has been uh drained of all the blood 
okay. you know, um, um, cut open and hung so that the blood can drain out. Yeah, no, vampires are not involved. For those of you who think that 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 could possibly be part of the Jewish culture, I'm sure that no vampires, no vampires, no vampires. Um, no. Now, you had talked before, just to completely switch the conversation. Sure. <laughs> um, you had talked about corned beef evolving yeah. through Jews meeting the Irish, and and right. it's got a kissing cousin named Pastrami. And right. you touched upon what the differences are. I was hoping you could explain a little bit more because you do get into that in the book. And then there's a, a third cousin, Montreal smoked meat. Montreal so smoked you, meat. you leave the U.S. shores and talk to us. That's right. Canada. So could you yeah. explain a little bit about all that? Yeah. Um, with corned beef and pastrami, uh, traditionally, they actually come from different cuts. So uh Pastrami would be closer to the belly and, and corned beef would come from the shoulder of the cow. Um, but, you know, that's mixed and matched more these days. Um, the main difference is that pastrami is covered in spices, um, you know, pepper, sugar, uh, lots of flavorings. Corned beef tends not to be. Um, and then pastrami is smoked and corned beef is boiled. So that's where you get the main difference in flavor and texture. Mm. Um, and in my experience... Pastrami tends to be, you know, when you eat pastrami, it's 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 fattier and more tender because it's been smoked and corned beef will be a, a, a little bit tighter because um, it's been boiled, you know, so it's more, um, you know, I don't know. It's like the 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 fat of it is it isn't as um, loose. <laughs> it's tight. I don't know fat, if that's your people. Yeah. Tight fat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what about Montreal smoked meat? And then Montreal smoked meat is sort of a Frankenstein uh, of the two where it is um, very heavily smoked um, and heavily spiced. Although you'll find like, it'll be a different spice rub than pastrami. It'll have, um, it'll have a different flavor and that depends on what deli you go to. But when you eat smoked meat, like at Schwartz's, um, it'll be a way smokier flavor than if you ate pastrami in New York. Yeah, no, definitely. And there is actually a place in New York that I've been to for smoked meat called Mile End, named after that section so good. in Montreal. Yeah, no, oh my yeah. God, so good, so good. Totally, yeah, I love Mile End. And I mean- Yeah, and that's well, a, you know, that's a Canadian leaning deli in New York, like they're, they're bagels too. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, do you wanna, as long as we're talking about bagels, you wanna explain the difference between uh, what we call, a, you know, a Jewish, you know, US Jewish New York style type bagel versus a Montreal bagel? Yeah, uh, Montreal bagels are, are sweeter and they're not as bready and they're way, um, the bagels are thinner. You know, New York bagels are so, tend to be big and thick and uh, more salty. I find this the main difference. And Montreal bagels are like, they're not, they're not so smearable because <laughs> it's, it's mostly whole. <laughs> But also the flavor is like there's more there there it tends to be more honey in it. Yeah, no, but I I've not heard that word before, schmearable. Um yeah. I'm gonna try no, to just use point that. Out. Yeah, no, I love please it. Do. I you know, <laughs> please. Um schmearable. Um so I, I, I do want to go back to meat for a bit though, before we, we delve yeah. into the rest of it. Um because there are certain 
meat items um, that are considered Jewish delicacies um, that are are not for the faint of heart. We, uh, you know, I was talking to a friend about doing this interview, and she said, you know, you can't be delicate to really enjoy a delicatessen. And um, <laughs> I was like, you know, you're That's right. Good, yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking of stuffed derma, which is sure. Yeah. Yeah. You want to explain what stuffed derma is? Well, man? well. <laughs> it is it is uh intestine that has been cleaned out i mean it's cleaned and then it's stuffed with sort of like a a a stuffing like a judaic stuffing and then sliced um cooked and then sliced yeah none of this is raw um yeah no 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 um no stuffed derma sashimi for me um but I mean, it's it sounds bizarre. And then, you know, tongue. Um, and I grew tongue, up. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I grew up. My aunt would make tongue, and I loved it. And but I always, in my my you know, key-brained head, was spelling it T U N G. And then um, <laughs> one day, I was watching, you know, in in uh, an old episode of Sanford and Son. I don't know if you ever watched do, that yeah. show. Yeah. yeah. And show. Fred was, uh, you know, in the kitchen cooking, boiling up something. And Lamont was like, dad, are you making dinner? He's like, don't worry. I got it under control, Lamont. And you're no longer doing the, the green stamps. No, Lamont, I couldn't handle that. And of course, he's got all these green stamps out, which back in the day were like loyalty points and he puts a big fork into this boiling water and pulls out a huge tongue and starts licking all of the um green stamps with it and puts it back and suddenly you know ah i realized that the tongue i had been eating from ancho was a cow's tongue and suddenly (laughs) i couldn't eat it anymore i mean you know um so I'm just when you see the the tongue, it's so um off-putting. Oh. But as a sandwich, it it can kind of just pass as a bologna sandwich. Oh my, but forget bologna, it's much better than bologna. And I mean, yeah, I yeah. just I just, you know, and and other cultures eat tongue. I mean, I just uh was out at a Mexican sure. place and had, you know, lengua tacos. They were gorgeous. Yeah. Lengua meaning yeah. tongue. Um yeah. it was so good. And um actually. I'm friendly with the owner of, I don't know if you know Shelsky's Delicatessen, an appetizer yeah. store and bagel. And um, he came over once, you know, I love to throw dinner parties. We did a Mexican dinner party and he made a dish, a Mexican dish with with tongue that was outrageous. Um, so that was sort of a fusion between Jew and, and Mexican. It was, you know, um, this, this dish was just outstanding, but I mean, there are so many things, you know, that are just kind of freaking gross that are are embraced in, in Jewish cuisine. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about some of those that you've illustrated in the book and, and, you know, was that a stomach turning experience for you or did you just embrace no, it? No, I wouldn't say so. Yeah. Well, the, when it becomes stomach turning for me a little bit is when things get gelatinous, like jellied um, calves feet, um, things like that. Um, I stay away from, but uh, when it comes to things like awful, like organ meat, um, I'm all in, I think it's great. And it's such an important part of the Jewish immigrant food experience. Cause it's just like, it's all about, 
what's left over after the people with money have have stopped by the meat markets all right it's like what are the what are the cattle farmers going to take them to their families and it's like you know the the kidneys and the 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 organ meat the intestines and the brains um and it really i don't know it doesn't it doesn't bother me like i, I think i chopped liver is one of my favorite things to get when i go to second avenue deli and when i eat like when i'm you know having passover with my family that's maybe the thing i look forward to the most um granted like i don't have experience preparing these foods and so maybe it's a situation where it's better not knowing so much how <laughs> that particular sausage is made yeah yeah um i i can say that except i i will tell you like livers don't bother me in that same sort yeah. of way when i'm cooking with them but uh, you know, I just, I saw these pictures and I was like, oh, I never would have thought a heart would look that cute. You know, your <laughs> drawings. And I'm like, okay, yeah. you kind of made intestines look charming. Well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't really be doing my job that. if any of these foods looked um, gross in any way. You know, I have to make it, I have to make it as appealing as I can. I, I get that. And I appreciate that. Um, yeah. You know, but I, I love chopped liver too. I mean, you know. But I got to admit, you know, when you start thinking about where some of these foods come from, you do, as you said, recognize that it was because these were the bits no one wanted to touch. And frankly, a lot yeah. of great cuisine around the world has been created from that because, you know, the ones I totally that agree, yeah. you have to take, you know, the extra steps, the extra care, go the extra mile and have a, a level of creativity to make some of these ingredients taste really delicious. You know, yeah, I mean, anybody can take a T-bone and add some salt and pepper and do a sear and it's going to be delicious. But, um, you know, it's the brilliance of, of our, our Jewish ancestors turning, um, um, you know, intestines into something that you're excited to eat. I agree. That's what that's where the best food is. Yeah, no, definitely. Absolutely. And um, so you know, we will step away from meat now for a bit. Um, <laughs> you know, we were talking before about bagels, um, you know, and I know you talk about other breads in the book, including challah. We get into yeah. desserts. Um, I'm just curious in terms of bagels, just, you know, is there a favorite bagel you have? I mean, uh, you know, and, and you can say it's, it's even though it's not schmearable, it's it's a um a Montreal bagel, but is there a particular kind of bagel flavor and and maker? You know, some like I love the bagels from H and H or somewhere like that. Or H and H is great. Well, I mean, um, I, I'm I a I'm lot, a Shelsky's yeah. fan. I need to sure. shout out for Shelsky's, but anyway. Um, I love Essa bagel. I think those bagels are really good. I really like actually Tompkins Square bagels. Um, I used to get a lot when I lived in the East Village, um, and those are really good. Um, and these are all like, you know, these are all huge bready New York bagels. Um, but see, now I'm like worried. I, I often find when you go to like an appetizing store that has really good fish, their bagels are often lacking. Like for me, it's rare to find a place that nails the fish and nails the and bagel. I get that. I get yeah. that. And so I mean I'll often like a Popeye S a bagel. You know, I'll get some fish from the appetizing store and I'll I'll take that home. 
I get it. So wait, what flavor? What flavor bagel? If, if and if you say I get it, chocolate yeah. chip, I'm I'm going to like have to come over to your apartment and and give you a talking to. Uh, <laughs> I would never do that to you. Uh, I get everything bagels. I get onion okay. bagels, garlic. I like an egg bagel. I'll usually oh. do everything bagel. And everything bagel with white fish is my go-to. Okay. Some capers okay. and onions. Capers yeah. and onions. Okay. And here's the the really important question. And this this is contentious with some people. Scoop. Oh boy. Do you scoop or not scoop? Do I scoop or not yeah, scoop? Do you scoop the... out the the you know you want to oh, get the the, uh, the extra no, no. bread in the middle? That's that's something that people sometimes do, and right. and I actually believe in it, but it is a very contentious move among New York bagel uh, connoisseurs. I think if I went to get a bagel with someone and they did that, I would be freaked out. Really? Okay. I well, thought I thought well well I don't want to judge. Well, you clearly do. <laughs> I thought when you said scuba, you were asking like, do you scoop out like the extra cream cheese like is coming through the middle of the bagel? Oh well, that's that's an art unto itself. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. where that's where like you, you, your finger might come into play for an extra, right. you know, because your finger is very schmearable. Look at how awful. Oh, that's right. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Well, and oftentimes a bagel place will put too much cream cheese on your bagel. Oh, sandwich. yeah. No, they'll they'll overload it with cream cheese. Yeah. God forbid and they overload it with the fish. Okay, now I see. I know, given the, the fish. Cracker. Um well, wait, I want to know if you scoop the bread out of your bagel. I do. I do. Okay. I love it. Well but, okay, my my sandwich, just as long as yeah. we're sharing, Ben. Um Please. I like a seed a, 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 a sesame seed. And Great. I like scooped a little bit of cream cheese on both sides sliced sable fish for those who don't know that's actually smoked cod and mm-hmm. then um one very thin slice of belly locks which is the super salt wow um sable salmon. and locks i know i know it's 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 a salt bomb and then i get um some some beef steak tomato and then a very thin slice of um of sweet onion and then that's my sandwich and it's that sounds good it's, i would eat it's, that it's delicious but it wow. it is an absolute salt bomb and i know it i mean so i get that that's like an annual thing <laughs> yeah that's than, a special that's a special that's a, occasion that's a special occasion lest my my heart explode <laughs> <laughs> and i and do I, find well when i get the like everything bagel with white fish that also feel, it always feels so salty to me <laughs> Because there's so much salt on the bagel. But it's so freaking good. That's so good. Yeah. It's so good. But I wanna I wanna ask you, um, talking about salt and and fish. Yeah. Like, you know, the difference between gravlox and the different smoked fish. And where did that come from? Um, you know, um I go for it. Yeah, sorry, finish with that. Uh, it's just I mean, that is uh, fascinating because it's so ancient. Um the art of preserving fish as simply and cheaply as you can just by putting some salt on it and putting it away. Um, And the fact that we still use those methods today just to, because we like the way it tastes and we like the texture of gravlax. There's a page in the book where I depict um, people in Sweden, you know, digging a hole in the ground and, and, and burying their fish. Um, and then, you know, digging it up later after it's fermented. And that's still a delicacy. Um, it's just so like, um, it's so archaic to me that I 
find that really kind of beautiful. And and now are we you planning a trip to Sweden to to taste it at at you know the mother source? I might I might do it. I did I did order some Sir Strumming uh, for research, and uh, I liked it. I'm sorry. What is it called? It's called I don't know if I pronounced it right. It's called Sir Strumming, and it's um um salty fermented fish in a in a can, and it's ah. very known for being very pungent. I see. Yes, I would imagine yeah. that was very pungent. I mean, you yeah. know, um, yeah. No, I've heard about in Iceland where they they do similar stuff with with whale meat. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. I imagine every culture has some version of salted preserved fish. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. And somehow it's the best way to eat fish. I think. Well, it's <laughs> I one just of love the... Bravlock so much. It's one. Oh of my god! Sure, yeah. So good. So good. I mean, I, I yeah. You know, Basically, at the end of this, all I want to do is I'm I'm in Philadelphia right now. I'll, I'll run over to the the Fourth Street, the famous Fourth Street Deli, and get something. Now that's one of those kosher style places because yeah, you know, they they you know you can get bacon on a sandwich that that definitely doesn't qualify. As, sure. But speaking of sandwiches, though, their sandwiches are massive. We're talking like a fistful of meat. What is that about? I mean, I don't know. I don't remember seeing that in the book, but do you have yeah. any, any insights? Because you do, you speak to a lot of deli owners um, in the book. Yeah. You know, did any of them mention that? Or, or what were some of those pearls of wisdom that you got? And if you could tell, you know, listeners a little bit about who some of these characters are. I, I well, uh, to speak to the first part of your question uh, maybe it's that cultures that have historically been chased around and um you know made to stay poor and unable to indulge maybe there's something in our dna that has us eating huge portions um because our you know our we don't know when the next time we're gonna eat is obviously that doesn't apply to us but every jew i know um has the biggest appetite <laughs> Uh, but you know what? I went to Katz's recently, and I found that the portions uh, were a little smaller than they had been in the past. All right. Um, well, we, we'll, we'll, we'll file an official complaint. It's possible you know, the... that was a fluke, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, know. No, maybe, I, yeah, maybe I'll go back and see if that was just like a one-off or something. You, you know what you should do, Ben? You should have uh, you know some sort of ruler where you're literally measuring and like taking notes so that you literally, you know, <laughs> Can come in and be like, okay, there was a, a third of an inch less meat. Yeah, what's happening? That's what it felt like. What's yeah. happening? <laughs> um, uh, the deli owner. When I spoke to deli owners, um, a lot of them spoke about the struggles of keeping their businesses alive. You know, as yeah, older generations die out and new generations are less, you know, are, are now more removed from the tradition. They're talking about like. Well, yeah, we have to, we, you know, we put burgers on the menu. We put, we like turned our upstairs into a bar um, to attract New Yorkers. So there's a lot, especially post COVID, it's like, it's, you can see that the rules are bending even more and the lines are getting blurred, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. No. If it keeps the delis alive. It, and, and, you know, at the end of your book, you talk about fusion. Um, yeah. You know, and you, you uh, if I recall correctly, you know, you, you were profiling Shalom Japan. Um, yeah. 
you know, so uh, you, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in that in terms of the future of the deli? Yeah, I, um, I, I'm seeing people, you know, Shalom Japan is is owned by um, a married couple, a, a, a Jewish man and a Japanese woman. And um, it's just very much a 50-50 fusion of their cultures that you wouldn't expect to work and uh, and seriously does. And that's always been, I think that's embraced like the contemporary delis doing that because it's, it's always been a fusion food with what has been around. Um, so it just makes sense that inherently that would change as um, people's families become more diverse and the customers become more diverse. Um, there's more cultures to pull from. And I, that's not maybe like an, an old head would would um you know become a little like wary of something like that but it i think it's very much within the spirit of the food well you were talking earlier and you talk earlier in the book about how the cuisine really you know was influenced by other immigrants when jewish immigrants came to the united states you know in major cities especially yeah. new york so you know if you were already influenced by the Irish and the Germans and the Swedes, then, then why not, you know, the, the Chinese or, you know, Mexican yeah. or Puerto Rican <laughs> or, you know, whatever, wherever, I mean, delicious is delicious. Um, also depending on the geography of the deli, if it's in the place like Texas where there's more, you know, Mexican immigrants, then you're going to start to see that in the food. Yeah, no, definitely. Not that there isn't something to be said about the pastrami sandwich I know and love, but yeah. you know, if, if you're doing it well and it's it's you know yummy, then then I'm all in. Um, but yeah. what in terms of can you can you talk a little bit about like one or two of the the deli owners that you spoke to and where they saw, you know, the joy and the struggle in terms of of what they do. Yeah, I mean, uh, nobody, th there was definitely, there was lots of struggle, but there was no despair. There there was a lot of adaptation. And I was asking a lot of deli owners about um, the, you know, the older generations that come in and are, um, you know, known to be finicky and specific, like we were talking about, like, at the beginning of the podcast. Um, and, but, you know, like, the, the the spirits are very high um and they are saying like there's room for everybody like we're keeping these we're keeping the older generations in and we're looking for ways to bring young people in as well and ziggy like so like i talked about ziggy a little bit who owns on um, kenny and ziggy's in houston mm -hmm. i was asking him like are like first of all like are there Jews in Texas? And he said, you'd be surprised there's there, like how alive the deli culture is in Texas um, and how many people are so happy to eat at a deli like his in Houston. And I was trying to get him to, you know, like, what's the difference? And he's like, there is no difference. Like I, I, you, I might as well be in New York with the enthusiasm um, for this food in a place like this. And I think that applies to everywhere. Like I talked to people and, Delhi owners in Tennessee and California, um, and everyone said basically the same thing. So it's not it's not just the New York uh, elites. So did you did you? I mean, I, I realize that you wrote this during the pandemic, but did you get to visit yeah. any of these at all? Any of these delis, or have no, you visited I mean, them I, since? 
I, I, I moved to New York while I was working on the book. So I, it was the pandemic, but I did get to visit um, a bunch of tellers in New York. Um, no, I, I plan on going to Montreal. I planned on going to Texas. Um, I didn't get to go anywhere. But actually, as this book rolls out and I'm doing some press now, um, I think now is when I'll be doing the traveling, which is maybe it's better that way because I'm now I get to go and just enjoy the food without the <laughs> without the burden of work on my shoulders. Well, that said, I mean, you know, I would think that this is also you know, a great book tour type thing. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, make sure that you're speaking at each of these cities and then invite, you know, a member of the press to come along with you into each of these delis that are actually part of the parcel of the book and yeah um, i mean you can't spend an hour talking about this food without then being like well maybe let's just go like grab a sandwich yeah please and what is your <laughs> go-to we talked about your go-to bagel sandwich what is your go-to you know deli sandwich if it's not going to be bagel and fish i love like the coleslaw russian dressing on rye situation um mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been to um, what used to be Eisenberg's and now is uh, S&P. I've Manhattan. not been to S&P. I've been to Eisenberg's, but I do need to go to S&P because it's, it, yeah. I hear it's killer. It's, you oh, know. my God. They have the best turkey sandwich. Um, I mean, it's the best. Turkey Swiss, coleslaw, Russian dressing. That's what I, that's, that's. It's not the most Jewish answer, but um, no, it's it's not at all. You've mixed <laughs> not in any way. You just mixed <laughs> milk and meat, young man. But yeah, no, just you know, for listeners, um, Eisenberg's was a very classic luncheonette that had been around yeah. for years and years. And I mean, like, I, I think the soot in the place was, you know, considered historic. Like you you weren't allowed yeah. to touch it. Um, and, un you know, unfortunately, you know, during the pandemic, it ended up dying. And uh, these guys that own uh, a few different uh, places. In yeah, town, Court Street Grocers. Court Street, and they're very famous for making fabulous sandwiches, decided yeah. to buy it and revive it, um, you know, with a bit of uh, of uh, an update, but still a lot of homage to to what had yeah. been. So, like, I mean, they're very famous, for example, for their um, for their tuna melt, uh, which is not Jewish. Incredible but, tuna melt! Oh my god! No, it's not. It's, it's culturally not. Jewish. Is it? Is it? We In might have experience. to have a separate discussion about that. But I mean, <laughs> um, well, they know, sell a tuna melt that. Um... Uh, what's what's the what's the dairy what's the 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 dairy store uh on the lower east side do you know what i'm talking about um b and h dairy Have yeah there's there? b and h dairy and yeah. yeah yeah so i mean yeah you're right you're right i mean it's you know we embrace a lot of things in in judaism um and and just to end this on a sweet note, you had mentioned before, like walking into appetizing stores and seeing the dried apricots, which I always love. But you know, yeah. uh, you know, talk to me about you know, it doesn't get much more classic than rugelach and a black and white cookie. So, oh my god, yeah, yeah. Tell tell me yeah, about babka. Oh my god. So tell me about the research for that, and what was the most surprising thing you you learned in terms of the sweets at the end of a deli meal as if you I have buy, room 
well, there's always room for some for some kind of sweet. I, I I biked all around New York trying every black and white cookie that I read about. Um, and black and white cookies are tricky because I learned they're not really cookies. They're they're cakes, um, which means like they tend to get very dried out if they're sitting around in like a packaging. Um, but if you go to a place like um, a donut shop that's making fresh donuts, they're also going to be making fresh black and white cookies. And I feel like that's the best place to get a really good black and white cookie because there's so much variety. Um, that said, like even a, even a, a, the worst black and white cookie is um, still one of the best desserts. <laughs> a black and white cookie and a big iced coffee after right. white fish bagel. I mean, that's the move. <laughs> That's just happiness. That's just happiness on a plate. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, Do you have a favorite? Um, like, what's your favorite dessert? Oh, Jewish dessert. It's it's really hard. I mean, you know, I've got to say, I mean, I love a rugula, but if it's going to be a rugula, then I want it to be a fruit rugula. Um, yeah, sure. Like an apricot rugula is usually my go-to, um, mm -hmm. but. If I really have to pick, because I don't make this and I do a lot of baking, I don't make babka. Um, a really fabulous babka is just a thing of beauty. It's the best. I totally agree. I've never made babka either. I don't even know if I could attempt it. There's so there's, yeah, but truly really a, a recipe a for babka. it. I just don't make it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should try. Uh, you know what? I live near Machiali's and and um, Bread's Bakery. I think I'll let them do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Save but yourself the trouble. Absolutely. So before I let you go, I have to ask, is your book Bubby approved? I mean, did you give this to any, any Aldecockers, anybody before it was published to just get the insight from from the elders i i the best i can give you is that my grandfather called me to approve that is the is, that's the closest i could get to bubby approval that, and i'm waiting to see you're waiting to see <laughs> not <what>? a bubby <laughs> um if i get any bubbies emailing me to tell me um what i got wrong <laughs> i i think that that is something that you're going to need to put up on on your site like like you know all the things all the bubby notes yeah. Yeah, I could probably make a whole sequel with the corrections that I will get from the Bubbies. <laughs> Bubbies and I'm says, here for it. I'm ready for it. Your, yeah. Ben is your, ben, ben is your Bubby superhero. He is he is here to put a megaphone up to the Bubbies of the land. I'm so. here for the Bubbies. <laughs> but um I just want to go back to um plugging the book again. Um, it, it really is just as delightful, if not even more delightful than this conversation that Ben and I just had. Um, the, the illustrations are beyond charming. Um, and, and it really draw, draws you in, in terms of some of the storytelling. So I, I need to congratulate you again. It's, uh, Thank you. the Jewish deli, the illustrated guide to the chosen food. Uh, highly recommend. Um, look forward to your your follow up, which I'm sure will be about the Italian deli. Um, <laughs> but uh, until then, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciated the conversation. 
Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Talk to you later.